There's an old joke about two, um, two guys who were out fishing one day, and um, they went out very early. The lake was very calm. In fact, really, there wasn't anybody else on their part of the lake. I mean, they just literally had the whole lake to themselves. So they're out there fishing. So the guy in the front baits his, baits his hook, throws it out, and just sits back to relax while the bobber just kind of bobs up and down, you know. And he's sitting there in the front of the boat when all of a sudden he hears this huge explosion. And he turns around and the water's just going everywhere and all of a sudden fish are floating to the top and his buddy in the back has this big net and he's just scooping out these fish. And he's going, what in the world is going on? About that time he lights another stick of dynamite, throws it on the other side and it, this big explosion, all these fish begin to float to the top. His buddy's taking this net, scooping them all up. And he goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What in the world are you doing? He says, well, I don't know about you, but I'm fishing. He says, what? He says, you can't do that. That's illegal. You can't use dynamite to fish. With that, his buddy lit another stick of dynamite, threw it in, his other, in the other guy's lap, and simply said, are you going to talk or are you going to fish? <laughs> now, say that for, the, for this. Yeah, thanks, man. Are we on, uh, like, a, a delay in here? <laughs> Come on, John. You just got it. Okay, John told me before the service he didn't get a lot of sleep. So <laughs> I'll give you credit for that one. Okay, so anyway, uh, so that's kind of the question I'm asking today is this. Are, are you going to talk or are you going to fish? Now, we've been in a great series called Neighbors. We started about uh, two weeks ago. Chad kicked it off for us. This was a series Chad did down in uh, when he was preaching down in Chapel Hill. And um, it's just a great series. And so we're using kind of as a baseline, kind of as that foundational scripture, Mark chapter 12, um, verses 28 to 30, but basically verse 30 is that foundational verse. Jesus is approached. He gets asked by a religious leader what the greatest commandment is. He simply says, starting verse 28, he says, you know, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. And then in verse 30, he says, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the question is, who's our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? And as Chad talked about, a lot of times we define it in these terms. We think about it as those people that maybe are on the other side of town, those people that need help, those people that are in another state, those people that are outside this country that, that, that are missionaries or work with people out there. Those are our neighbors because, see, they're at a distance. And it's easier to help those who are at a distance from us. But that's not what Jesus is talking about when he says, who is your neighbor? And so last week we began to look at how we can turn strangers into acquaintances who hopefully become friends, who hopefully maybe one day become brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, your neighbors are those who live right next door to you. Your neighbors are those who are across the street from you. Your neighbors are those you come in contact with every day, those you work with and you work beside. Those are your neighbors. And some of them are still strangers. Even though you've lived where you're at for one, two, three, four years and more, you still really don't know who they are. You really don't know your neighbors. And so today we want to begin to, to change that. And to change that mindset that sometimes we have. 
Pray with me as we begin. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for these next few moments. And God, again, speak to our hearts. Speak to us today, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When I was growing up, um, and even now, um, I never necessarily liked to swim, so I'm not a great swimmer. I can swim. I mean, if I had to save myself from about, you know, 25 feet offshore, I think I could do that. Um, <laughs> Past that, it's going to take divine intervention, okay? That's just the way it is. Um, so I'm not a great swimmer, but when I was growing up, you know, uh, all my friends swam. Uh, is it swam? Uh, I mean, all my friends went swimming, so I went swimming. <laughs> and then my, my mom and dad would take us to the lake, or then later on in life, Lucy loves to go to the beach, so we'd go to the ocean. But I would find myself just constantly staying in the shallows. Just staying in the shallows, uh, in the shallow end, uh, not really venturing out into the deep. You see, the shallow end was it was easy, and the shallow was was really comfortable, and the shallow didn't put me at risk. But the other side of that is, I never was able to discover all the things that you can experience when you go to the deep. There's a guy in the scripture named Peter who discovered this. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Let me set the stage for you uh, today as we begin. It's probably only been a short time since Jesus had first met Peter, Andrew, James, and John. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us that Peter had first been introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew and the two of them, along with James and John, had traveled with Jesus in Capernaum and Galilee. Uh, but for whatever reason, they had returned uh, to their fishing business. In fact, we know from Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 38, that Jesus visited Simon Peter's home and had even healed his mother-in-law of a high fever. So up until our story begins in Luke chapter 5, I believe that Peter had probably been a lot like a lot of church people today, you know, kind of just a part-timer. I mean, he knew Jesus. He had spent some time with him. He had even witnessed a miracle. But his relationship with Jesus was just on the surface. He just kind of remained in the shallows, fairly uncommitted, pretty casual, and again, staying where it was comfortable. But now, all that's about to change. So as we come into chapter 5, Peter and his friends have been out fishing all night. And you can follow along in the scripture because I'm just going to kind of paraphrase this because we've got a lot to get through today. So they've been out fishing all night. They're up on the shore cleaning their nets. Now, it's been a rough night. I mean, they've been up all night. They've been fishing all night. But they didn't catch one single fish, not even a little bitty minnow. Now, Jesus comes along and things begin to get interesting. You see, as Jesus comes, which normally happened, a crowd began to follow, and a crowd began to come to Jesus. So much so that they begin to press in on Jesus. And when you're standing on the shore, and all these people are pressing in on you, there's not a lot of places to go, okay? So he motions to Peter and says, hey, can I get in your boat? He got into the boat. He said, hey, just go out just a little bit from the shore. Just give me some breathing room here. So they push out. Jesus begins to preach. And he preaches to the people, and 
basically for the next several hours, he's just teaching them and preaching to them. Now when he's, when he's finished, the crowds scatter. They go back to their homes. But now it's about midday. And so Jesus turns to Peter, and this is what he says in verse 4. He says, push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Now I want you to underline that verse for a moment and keep that in your heads for just a moment. We'll come back to it. Push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Now, there's all kinds of reasons that Peter could have given for not wanting to do this. I mean, after all, Jesus is a nice guy, but he's not a fisherman. I mean, he's a carpenter turned preacher. So he should probably leave the fishing to guys like Peter who do it as for a living. But second of all, it's the wrong time of day for fishing there. It was too hot. And besides, Peter and his friends were tired, man. They'd been out all night, and they hadn't got any rest, and they hadn't caught anything. So I can picture Peter just turning to Jesus and saying, look, Jesus, <laughs> now, man, I'm tired. And my guys are tired. We've been out all night. We didn't catch anything. And I'll, let me tell you, I hope you're not disappointed if we don't catch anything. But because you've asked me to, let's go. So he puts out into the deep water, he lets down his nets, and then it happens. There are so many fish that the nets begin to break. In fact, Peter has to call in reinforcements to haul in all the fish that they have caught. And they begin to put it on, the, on board the other ships. And Peter's so blown away that look what verse 8 says. It says, Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master leave. I'm a sinner and, and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. Verses 10 and 11 go on to say, Jesus said to Simon, there is nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on beach, on the beach, left them, nets and all, and followed him. Here's the thing. That day, Jesus called Peter and these other guys, he called them to more. He called them to leave that which was comfortable for that which was unknown. He called them to step out of the shallows and into the deep. And he called them to make the souls of people the priority. And when it was all said and done, these guys had to answer the same question that you and I have to answer, and it's simply this. Are you going to talk or are you going to fish? Are you going to talk or are you going to fish? I mean, are, are you going to talk a, a really good game about being spiritual and religious and about being a follower and a disciple? Or are you actually going to get in there and begin to display it and live it out, not only in your life but in the life of others? Are you going to talk or are you going to fish? Paul Harvey once said, Christians too often forget that they are supposed to be fishers of men, not just keepers of the aquarium. Let me tell you, there's a lot of truth in that because so many churches across this country really are more concerned with what they have rather than what's out there that can begin to come in. Those lost people that just need a savior, who need hope. I'm going to give you just a couple observations this morning. The first is this. 
Observation number one. There's two things that happened that day that were so significant that they caught the attention of everyone that was there. And the first one is this. Peter changed his view of himself. I mean, this was the day when Peter began to change the view of himself. You see, up until this time, having a net full of fish was Peter's life goal. I mean, this is how he measured his happiness. This is how he measured his success. If he had a full net of fish. After all, he was in the fishing business. His whole life was centered around boats, around his business, around the water, and around fish. But now he's got more fish than he knows what to do with, and he realizes that this isn't what ultimately will make him happy. You know, I've thought about this, and actually, it actually just hit me right now. Maybe... Maybe the reason Jesus allowed that to happen, maybe the reason they caught so many fish they didn't know what to do with is because of this very thing. Peter needed to realize that that's not what life's about. Maybe he just needed to realize having a, a full net, having a successful business, maybe that's not what God wants for me. Maybe he's got something different in my life. So he realizes that it's time to stop talking fish and it's time to get on with the business of fishing for that which will last for an eternity and that's the souls of people. So he changes his view of himself. But the second thing is this, he changed his view of Jesus. He changed his view of Jesus. He and his friends had just pulled in the biggest haul they had ever seen in their whole lives and instead of throwing a party and having this huge fish fry, Guess what? Peter falls to his knees and says, I'm a sinner and you're not, Jesus. You're holy. I'm not, I'm not even worthy enough to stand in your very presence. You see, in that moment, he realized that Jesus was more than just a traveling preacher. He was more than just an acquaintance. He was someone he could give his life to and someone he needed to follow. And in that moment, he moved from the shallow end, he moved to the deep. He moved from having a casual relationship with Christ to having one that was committed to Christ and committed to following him. And as we know, they, they left everything, man. Literally, they dropped everything to follow Jesus. Now, here's what I hope you will never forget. At some point in your life, just like Peter did, you must fall to your knees, acknowledge your sinfulness, and you need to acknowledge Jesus' holiness. Everybody in here, everybody, at some point in your life, if you've never done that, you need to fall to your knees, you need to acknowledge that you are a sinner, and you need to acknowledge that Jesus isn't, and he's the Holy One who saved you, and you need to give your life to that. That's what we need to do. Everyone needs to do that. Here's the cool thing. When we go and share our faith out of obedience to his call, even, even if it's one person or it's a thousand, guess what? The kingdom of God is blessed. And you're going to be a success in the eyes of, of Jesus. And so we all have to acknowledge that. We all have to be obedient to that. Now, again, why do I say that? It's because there are those in this room who are a lot like Peter. Man, your relationship with Jesus is still pretty casual. Maybe even part-time. 
And you're content to remain in the shallows where there's no risk and where you can remain in that which is comfortable. But here's the thing. If you want to become a gift bearer, like we talked about last week, if you want to become a gift bearer in someone's life, you must be willing to move from the shallow to the deep because it's in the deep that we learn what I just said a moment ago, and that is obedience. We learn obedience. Which brings me to the second observation is simply this. Jesus didn't tell Peter to catch fish. I want you to understand that. He didn't tell Peter to catch fish. He told him to let down his nets for a catch. You see, it's different. I mean, Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, these people have finally left. It's middle of the afternoon. I'm starving. I'll tell you what, I know you didn't catch anything last night, but you think you could try, go out, maybe see if you could catch some fish. And if you catch any, just bring them back and tell you what, I'll even cook them for you. Because I'm hungry. It's not what he said. He didn't tell Peter to go out and catch fish. Here's what we've got to understand. Jesus wasn't telling Peter what might happen. He was telling Peter what was going to happen. Which meant that it wasn't up to Peter anymore. It wasn't up to chance anymore. It wasn't up to dumb luck. Instead, it was totally up to Jesus. He wasn't telling him what might happen. He was telling him what was going to happen. He didn't say, Peter, go out and maybe catch some fish. He said, go out, drop your nets for a catch. He was telling him what was going to happen. And as I thought about that, I began to understand why people have such a problem leaving that which is comfortable for the unknown. Why they have problem helping strangers to become acquaintances. The problem is we think that we are responsible for providing and catching the fish. We think we're responsible, but here's what we must understand. We are only responsible for being obedient to God's call. He's responsible for providing the fish, providing the opportunities with your neighbors, the opportunities with your coworkers, the opportunities with those across the street from you. And so here's the principle that I believe Jesus was teaching here, and it's this. When we are obedient to God's call on our life, he will supply everything we need. Get that? When we're obedient to God's call, he will supply everything we need. In other words, he will bring people into our lives who need an introduction to the God who loves them. And like I said a moment ago, if it's one person or a thousand, you and the kingdom of God will be blessed. Here's what I hope you'll never forget. True happiness and fulfillment in life only comes when we are obedient to the call of God on our life. If you're struggling, if you have no happiness in your life, maybe you need to look and ask yourself this question, am I living within God's will for my life? Or am I being disobedient to what God has called me to? Am I listening to the promptings of his spirit? And are his, is his spirit moving me in a direction? Is the Spirit trying to show me what God wants for me in life? But, but I'm saying, no way, man, no way. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to go to that person? You see, true happiness and fulfillment comes when we are obedient to the call of God on our hearts and on our life. You see, when we're obedient to God's call, when we surrender our hearts, hearts to the authority of Jesus, it's no longer about me. It's just no longer about me. It, it, 
It's not what I want. It's not what I desire. Now it's about him. And now it's about doing his will in and through my life. I think that's why I love the words of, of Paul in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, where he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of, the, of this world, but let God, excuse me, transform you into a person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, before we close today, I just want to share with you my story. Because I had to come to terms with this years ago. Um, it was something that, that I struggled with early on in ministry, partly because as a pastor, as a pastor, we, we call on people that visit the church, we, we see people, we talk to them as a pastor, that's my job. And so I had to come with ter to terms with the fact that I'm also a Christian, I'm also a follower of Jesus. So how do I separate the two? I was at a conference years ago. I've told you this before. This was early on in my ministry when I was a youth pastor. And I heard uh, the, the, leaders, the guy who was leading that day simply say these words. Just because you're a pastor doesn't exempt you from being a Christian. Just because you're a pastor and you call on people, as that, that's your job. But that's also your responsibility as a, as a Christian. And so that day changed my life. And so from that moment on, I made it a priority in my life, whether it was in youth ministry or whether it was in uh, whatever ministry I was doing over the last 37 years. I made it my, my responsibility to put myself in positions to meet nonbelievers. That's what I've always done. That's why I tell you that I'll never ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. Because that, that's what God has laid upon my heart. So that's, that's one way God has wired me. God has wired me to just be able to talk and, and reach people. That's what he's done. And I love that. But God has also wired me in another way, which is really unusual. God has gifted and wired me in a way to help churches who are struggling to grow. I don't know why, but he's wired me that way. Because let me tell you, it's not fun necessarily at times, and it's, it's a tough road to hoe. When you go into a church that's having difficulties, or you've been at a church and all of a sudden you're, you're the associate or you're the youth guy, and they're, they're th or you're the worship guy, and they're throwing you into the position of interim pastor because the church is struggling and they had to get rid of the guy. And for whatever reason, God has always wired me and equipped me in a way to go through those types of situations and come out on the other end bringing healing and growth to that, to that place. It happened in my, one of my ministries in youth ministry. It happened in Oklahoma. It happened in Indiana. It, it happened in Arizona. And it's one of the reasons I came to this church is because of how God has wired me and, he, and, and gifted me. You see, uh, in Arizona... After I became the interim and then um, the lead pastor, uh, after the guy I served with, 
had some issues and they had to let him go, the church, we never did struggle. For whatever reason, we grew. So for the next year and a half, we went from 550 to when I left, 700. So I left the church at 700 to come to a church here at the journey, which you guys, if, you're, if you've been here for the last several years, you have no concept of what this church was when, when we came. Jim told me this morning, he was funny, he came up to me right before I came up here and he said, can you imagine, he said, as you look out over this, can you imagine what this church was when you came and how, how the difference is? Because it's amazing. The church had went through a tough, tough time, probably a five-year period and um, at one point even got into 100, under 100 people total with kids. They were about 130 when they hired me. And it was in a difficult time, difficult situation. And there were still pews in this church at that time. Uh, that's difficult in itself. Um, <laughs> from my perspective. But, but I never once, I, I never once thought, why would I leave a church of 700 that was healthy, strong, and growing to go to a church of 130 that was struggling and I have no clue what I'm getting into? I never once questioned that. And the reason is because that's how God's wired me and gifted me. And so that's how I ended up here. And, and I just remember, I've never thought, I've never, I've never thought, God, why am I there? I've always thought, God, if you're behind this, then it's going to grow. And God, if you're in this, why wouldn't it grow? I've never questioned that. I won't tell you who it was, but when they were, when they were doing their, uh, you know how they call your references? You know, when, when you're applying for a position, they called my references. And, they, and one of our elders talked to one of my references because he called me later that, that month and said, hey, I, I did get a call from one of you guys. And as we were talking, he just asked me, he said, hey, well, Jerry, this was in, I, I, I came in September of 2008. He said, by January, uh, well, he said, so what are you guys running? And uh, this elder said, well, we're, we're about 130, 135. And, and my reference, Jimmy, said, uh, well, you'll be 200 by January. And this elder laughed. And so uh, Jimmy said, uh, no, you'll, you'll be 200. Uh, we were 200 by the end of January. A year and a half later, we, we were over 300. I never questioned God. I never said, God, why am, I, why am I here? Why did you bring me here? I just said, God, if this is how you've wired me and gifted me, then why wouldn't I be there? Because that's what you want. You just want to be in God's will. You want to do God's will. Now, I say that for this reason. And, and if you're visiting with us today, understand, this is not a bad thing. What I'm going to tell you, it's a good thing. God has called me to do the same. God's called me to leave a healthy, strong, amazing church, now over 500, to go to a struggling church that I'm not even sure if I'm going to have 75 people total with kids. We have over 130 to 140 just sixth grade and under here. I'm not sure if I'm going to have 75 or 100 people. And it's a church that's only four years old. And it's a church that needs help. It's a church that God is saying, I want you to leave where you're at because they need you now. Now, let me tell you, I just turned 60 in April. 
Not many churches want to hire a guy 60, especially for a four-year-old church plant. I believe when that happens, it's only because God is in it. And God has called Lucy and I. I want you to know that she is 100% behind this. Um, I would never do anything without her being 100% behind it. She is so much behind. My wife, and I think uh, Michelle would verify this, Lucy also has, like Michelle, a gift of discernment. And so she has that gift of being able to discern situations. And when this came up um, in May and we began to talk about it, she told me, she said, I can't tell you why, but God is saying that's what we need to do. She hadn't even seen it yet. I hadn't even been there yet. When they had me come and preach a few weeks ago, Lucy had just got back from Kenya. She was just going to be getting back from Kenya, and I knew she was going to have jet lag, plus she had to get her sister to the airport. And she goes, I can't go with you that morning when you preach there. But she said, I want you to know I want you to go because I feel that's what God wants. So we flew her down that night, and she came down. And so she's 100% behind us. She feels this is what God has called us to do. That's why I say this is a good thing. I, you know, I appreciate the fact that hopefully some of you are sad. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, that means a lot to me, you know. But the other side of that is I want you to know it's, it's a good thing because it would be wrong for me to stay in a place that's easy in some ways a place that I'm comfortable with, a place that in a lot of ways would keep me in the shallows. But God is saying, I want you back into the deep water again. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. But I think you're the person that that church needs. Now, let me tell you how God works upstream. This church is actually a campus of Chad's home church in North Carolina, Jefferson. And so I'll be going, Lucy and I will be going to just outside of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's in a great area. The church provides them a building. The church is going to pay for my salary. I don't have to raise support, which is a good thing. Um, And um, it's in a growing area, and they just never have met or reached their potential, even come close to their potential. And so we're going because I believe God's going to allow that to happen now. And so please pray for us. And so God has been kind of working upstream for the last year in this. And I just want you to know, our our leaders have known for the last year and a half that God has been working in my heart and stirring my heart. And they've known that at some point I would be moving out of here. And I want you to know that because of that, God has been also working upstream here. And I can't tell you necessarily details yet because uh, we can't. Go back to sleep, John. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I can't tell you details yet, but I just want you to know that this church and the leadership have already got a plan in place. And we've been working on that for the last year, especially. And and it's an amazing plan. In fact, I am so excited about the direction of this church and where it's going to go from this point on, because I'll tell you right up front, uh, I came to do what God wanted me to do here, and I believe that I've been, I've been able to accomplish that because that's how I'm gifted and wired. But he's got somebody else who's gifted and wired that's going to be able to take this church to the next step. 
But that's how God does. And so he's been working upstream, and you'll, you'll hear more about it in the next couple of weeks. But I want you to know, if I say this for this reason. If you're visiting with us today, you're going, can you believe the Sunday we picked to, to go to that church? We went there on the Sunday that their pastor says he's, he's resigning and going somewhere else. What were we thinking? I want you to know that if that's you, you, yes, you were here for a reason, and this church, the greatest days are ahead of it. I believe that. So, so if you're visiting, my challenge to you at the end, which I'll tell you again, is you give us these next four to six weeks because you need to discover what this church is about. You don't need to discover what the pastor's about. Too many churches are about the pastor mm -hmm. instead of Christ. And that's why when a pastor leaves, the church falls apart, because it's been about him and not Jesus. I hope I've done a good job in preparing you for the fact that it's not about me, but it's all about him. Amen. And because he's in it, you guys have nothing to worry about. And, and I just see so many great things happening in the near future. And so with that said, I need your prayers. Lucy and I need your prayers. We need, we need to sell our house very quickly. I know it's a great market. We have a great townhouse. Uh, you don't have to worry about Gary and Carol anymore because they're leaving. Uh, they live right down the street from us. No, just, just kidding. They were great neighbors. Uh, it was great living two doors down from the treasurer. You know, she, who writes your chair. <laughs> so, that was awesome, let me tell you. Uh, but we have a great neighborhood, so if you need to buy a townhouse, you see, you see me, okay? Because I need to get it sold quickly. Uh, Eric and Sheila right there, the Kudros, they're with uh, Keller Williams. They're helping me out, and um, you just see them, and they'll show it to you this week, okay? Be because we can't buy a house there until we sell ours, so we need to do that. So please, pray. I'm serious, though, pray for that, because that's... That, those ladies in here, you know the burden it places on the wife. Because a lot of times the move comes more down on her than it does me. And so pray for Lucy. And, and just pray for a smooth transition for her as well as me. We have, we have our son coming back from Africa for a week or so. He's going to be at a class. We're going to be keeping our, grandkid, our granddaughter through this time as well. So, you know, then we found out our other son with his five kids are coming during this time too. So... Please pray. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> yeah, please pray. Yeah, please sell quickly. So, but please pray for Lucy especially. Yes. Awesome. If that's not a demonstration of when I say you're not here by accident, 
I don't know what is. So please pray for Lucy and I. And pray for the church. I just see so many great days ahead. So many great days. So please pray for that.